This is one of those plan ahead moments. I let it time out. There. Um, so, <laughs> years ago when I was still a computer programmer, I had a job where they hired me to be the software architect. We were building a small product um, and uh, they wanted someone with my skills to be the software architect and so that meant that I would be designing the software and then me and a couple of other people would actually implement it. And that was that was the deal, except that uh, somebody higher than me in the company didn't remember that part of the deal. And he thought that he was the software architect. And... Um, and uh, and it just didn't work out. So um, for about two years, uh, we we uh, butted heads back and forth uh, because, uh, frankly, he didn't know what he was doing, and and uh, it was a pretty hard project. Um, and um, so after a couple of years, I just said, okay, well, this is not getting any better, and he's not going away. So I guess I'm the one who needs to go away. So I left. I I found a new job and left the company because I just couldn't do the work that they had hired me to do. And I tell you this um, because my guess is a lot of you can relate to that. Maybe you've had a situation at work where there was just a, a personality conflict and you just couldn't get along with that person. Or maybe it was, you know, technical matters that they just disagreed about how to do something and you were not, you were never able to reconcile those things. Or maybe sometimes it was something ethical that, that you couldn't stay, um, you couldn't stay at that job and behave ethically, and so you decided you would just have to leave because your values wouldn't allow you to do the thing that, that you were being asked to do. So maybe you've had that situation. Maybe maybe for you it wasn't a job thing. Maybe it was a personal relationship, that, that there was some relationship that, uh, for whatever reason, it just didn't work out, that whenever you were around that person, uh, you, you could not get along or they had some toxic behavior or something that just made it impossible to get along with them. My guess is that most of you can relate to something like that, some situation where uh, despite the effort that you made to to uh, reconcile, to make that situation better, um, the longer you, you worked at it, the more you realized it just was not going to get better. And um, uh, if you've been in that situation, um, the good news is that is that the best people in the Bible have also been in that situation as well. Um, and so we're going to learn a lesson from the Bible. If you have not been... Um, in that situation, then I encourage you to file this away because because what we're gonna what we're gonna talk about today is not really a Christian thing. It's not really a uh, a religious thing. It's a it's a human thing, and uh, we're we're gonna learn how you can get along with people even when you can't get along with people. So so that's what we're gonna uh, be looking at today. There is there is a second le- so that's kind of the the lesson for everybody. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to be a Christian. You can still be figuring out what it is you believe about God or Jesus, things like that. And you can still learn an important lesson uh, from our reading today. But if you're a Christian, there's kind of a bonus lesson. And so I'll spend some time at the end talking specifically to Christians about that. So so that's kind of our plan. So we're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about how you can have peace um, when there's no peace to be had, how you can how you can get along with people you can't get along with. So. Um, our, our, um, our conversation for the last several weeks has been about the subject of peace. And we've learned a lot about peace. Uh, we've learned uh, that peace ultimately comes from God, who is a God of peace. And uh, Jesus commissions us as Christians to go out and take his peace out into a chaotic and sometimes violent world. That, that that's our calling as Christians. 
Uh, but today we're going to look at the situation when, when despite our best efforts, we cannot be people of peace. It's not, it's, we're, we're not having any success at that. So, so our lesson comes to us from the book of Genesis and uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 13 as you just heard. Uh, but before we do that, I want to kind of catch us up where we're at. So, uh, the, the situation is that, is that, uh, we're, we're looking at the story of Abraham. This is before he gets the name Abraham. He's still called Abram. And so if I, if I get those confused, uh, they're really the same guy. Um, so Abram was uh, living in, um, uh, the Fertile Crescent. So that's, uh, the Africa and Europe. And he was living in an area called Mesopotamia or the Fertile Crescent. And God called him. God said, go to a place I will show you. And so Abram uh, obeyed God. God uh, called him to go to Canaan. And so he goes to Canaan. But then there was a famine. And so he goes to Egypt. And he makes some some poor decisions in Egypt. And um, as we're going to see, uh, if, if we follow the story of, a- of uh, Abraham, he, he is, often does make poor decisions. But but uh, as we pick up the story, he's, he's uh, done with Egypt. He's being... He's being um, probably escorted to the border, it sounds like to me as I read it. Uh, but Abraham is is coming back from Egypt, back to Canaan, and um, he is now wealthy. So we read in verse 13, or verse 1 of chapter 13, Abram went up from Egypt toward the arid southern plain with his wife, with everything he had, and with Lot. So he is coming up out of Egypt, back to Canaan. So that's, that's where... Uh, Abram is going, and we read, he is very wealthy in livestock, silver, and gold. And he travels, making um, making and breaking camp from the arid uh, uh, southern plain to Bethel in the sacred place there where he first pitched his tent. So basically back where he, he was before. He came from Mesopotamia, but now he's come, uh, he spent that time in Egypt, and now he's back to where he first arrived. So the place where he built the altar. And... and um, and then we read uh, to the place with the altar. And Lot, who traveled with um, Abram, also had flocks, cattle, and tent. Lot is, is Abraham's nephew. He came with him from Mesopotamia, followed him to Egypt, and is now coming back along with Abraham from Egypt. And they both become very wealthy there. So that's the situation. And the problem is they both became very wealthy. They both have huge flocks um, and uh, they are in a place where there's just not enough uh, uh, grazing for them, probably not enough water, and there's also Canaanites and Perizzites still living in the land. So they start getting into conflicts. You know, why don't you know you take your sheep and go somewhere else or whatever? So whatever reason, we don't know exactly what the conflicts are, but their their employees, the herdsmen who work for them, start having conflicts. Conflicts broke out between those herding Abram's livestock and those herding um, Lot's livestock, and. I assume from the wording there that the Canaanites and Perizzites might have been involved in some of those too. So that's the situation at the end of the first paragraph. And then the second paragraph is the solution. What does Abraham do about this situation? So um, Abraham, like I said, sometimes makes some some bad decisions. Uh, and go back and read chapter 12. He made he made a bad decision there. And um, he'll repeat it in a in a later chapter. So but he makes a good decision here. He says to Lot, um, let's not have disputes between me and you um, and between our herders since we are relatives. So what is his decision? He says, isn't the whole land in front of you? Let's separate. If you go north, I will go south. If you go south, I will go north. So he says, let's separate. 
And uh, you get to pick which way to go. Do you want to go north? I'll go the other direction. Wherever you go, I'll go the opposite direction. So that's that's what he does. And, um, and we're going to see how that plays out in a moment. But if you stop and think about it, he might not have. You know, if you think about your own situations in the past, in, in work or in personal relationships, you might have said, well, wait a minute, no, I shouldn't have to do anything, right? It's their problem. They're the ones who's causing, you know, we might, we might re- recognize that Abraham could have, could have taken a different course. He could have said, no, he needs to change. They need to stop doing that thing because, because they, they have to stop. I'm the one who's in the right. For that matter, he could have said, hey, back in chapter 12, God gave me the whole land. It's mine. And so you have to obey me, right? You have to do what I tell you because God gave me this whole land. Um, he could have said that. He could have said, hey, I am your uncle. You're my nephew. I'm older than you. And in, you know, we, we live in a patriarchal society lot. You have to do what I tell you. Um, if you went back home, you'd have a different patriarch, but locally, I'm your patriarch. You have to do what I say. So he could have done any of those things, and he didn't. For that matter, he could have done nothing. And I think a lot of us, a lot of us sometimes do that when, when we're in a situation. We just say, well, maybe it will get better. You know, maybe they'll change. Maybe circumstances will change that somehow or another, maybe the situation will get better and I don't have to do anything. But Abraham doesn't do that. Hope is not really a strategy, especially when the problem is herds of, herds of animals that tend to grow and not shrink. So, you know, you're not hoping that you'll wind up with less goats or camels. So, so he, he makes a decision. He says, something's got to be done and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give Lot first choice. Lot will pick a direction. He can't argue with it then. And then I'll go the other direction and I'm okay with that. So Lot looks up and he sees the entire Jordan Valley and it was uh, well irrigated like the Garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as far as Zoar. This is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So, so this is, this is the close up of where they're at. They're in Canaan. Um, if you, if you, Think about the Holy Land. There's basically uh, the 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 topography is that there's the coastal plain along the the Mediterranean coast, and then there's the hill country that goes like this, and then there's the Jordan River Valley, and that's still true today. If you think about if you think about the the politics in the Middle East, there's the Gaza Strip, which which is run by Palestinians. Then there's uh, Israel. And then there's what we used to call the Western Bank. Now we call the Palestinian territories. So uh, that's still the structure of the land um, because because the land really dictates it. And so uh, he is in Canaan. He's in the hill country. And Lot looks over and says, I like that valley a lot more. So he looks to the east and says, ooh, you know, water. It's like It's like being back in Egypt where there's the Nile River. I like that more. So he says, I'm going to go that way. And... Abraham says, well, I'll stay here in Canaan. So, so what, what is the lesson? The lesson for us is you can have peace, but it will cost you something. It cost Abraham the, the opportunity to pick whatever place he wanted to go. He was the patriarch. He was the one that God gave all the land to. God didn't give it to Lot. But Abraham said, peace is more important, so I will pay the price. And that's a lesson we can all play. We can all say, we can say, I can have peace, but it's going to cost me something. I'm going to have to 
walk away from the situation. I'm going to have to abandon my my hope for a promotion. I'm going to have to uh, abandon my the investment of time or money that I've made in this venture. I'm going to have to abandon my pride. I'm going to have to abandon my resentment. We can have peace, but we may have to walk away from a situation. So it will cost us something, and that's a good thing. If it was free, we would probably walk away too easily. You know, we'd just say, well, no no skin off my nose. But it should cost something, but it will cost something, and so we need to be prepared for that. We can't have peace. And so that's the lesson. Um, let the other person pick. Let them decide. Then you don't get the argument afterwards. So that's the lesson for everyone. And you can apply that whether you're a Christian or not. I want to go on, though, because there's a separate lesson here for people who are following Jesus. And so um, so that begins in um, the final paragraph. So, um, so Lot picks a place. Abraham picks a place. And then we get this foreshadowing about the land of, of Canaan. So peace is available, but it will have a price. So what I wanted to do is talk about the, the bonus lesson just for Christians. And it is this. God wants us to be people of peace. Jesus says, happy are people who make peace because they will be called God's children. Jesus encourages his disciples to work for peace. So what happens in the final paragraph of this chapter? It says, after Lot separated from him, the Lord, who has been silent for some time now, we haven't heard about him, now suddenly God speaks. The God, God speaks to Abraham and says, from the place you're standing, look up and gaze to the north, south, east, and west, because all the land you see I give to you and your descendants forever. I will make your descendants like the dust of the earth. If someone could count the bits of dust on the earth, then they could also count your descendants. God repeats the promise that he made to Abraham back in chapter 12, and he strengthens it. Instead of simply saying, I will give you a land, I will give you this land, he says, I will give you all this land. Instead of saying, Instead of saying um, that I will give you a family and you will become a great nation, he says, I will make you like the dust of the earth. You'll be too too numerous to count. God strengthens the promise that he had made back in chapter 12. So he says, stand up and walk around um, because I'm giving it all to you. And there's there's a, a kind of a ominous uh, part here where it talks about Lot uh, Lot picks the picks the place that, that is um, where near, near Sodom, and later on in the in the book of Genesis, uh, Sodom is destroyed by God. And uh, before then, there's more adventures. Abraham has to bail out Lot because he basically picked a bad place. But because of all these these adventures that take place with Lot, what happens is Lot moves further east. He moves to the other side of the um, the the River Jordan, and. That land is given to Lot. And in fact, if we read in the book of uh, Deuteronomy, when the people are coming from, when, when Moses is leading the, the Hebrews from, from their captivity, their, their slavery in Egypt, God says, don't aggravate Moab. Don't fight with them in battle because I won't give any part of their land to you. I have given our, Moab, to Lot's descendants as their property. And he says, you will come close to the Ammonites. Don't aggravate, don't aggravate them. Don't fight with them because I won't give you any part of the Ammonites' land. I've given it to Lot's descendants as their property. So God not only strengthens the promise to Abraham, but he confirms the decision that Abraham made about letting, 
letting Lot pick where to go. So the, the lesson for us is that God does want us to pursue peace and God will bless people who, who pursue peace. And I would, I would say generally it's this. God will make good what we pay to pursue peace. That's not an insurance policy. God is not an insurance policy. But it's characteristic of God. This is what God is like. God can make good what we pay to pursue, pursue peace. So that's the lesson for Christians. And yet, and yet we don't always get along, even as Christians. So a week ago, I took part in a special session of the Alaska United Methodist Conference. And the reason for that was to approve the plan for disaffiliation of Nanilchik, a church in Nanilchik. This is something that's been going on in the Methodist Church for the last several years. There have been, um, so far, in uh, since 2019, about 3,000 churches have disaffiliated from the Methodist Church. And the reason... Uh, specifically has to do with the church teaching on human sexuality. Uh, but um, it's not unique to the United Methodist Church. A decade ago, when the Presbyterian Church was going through the same argument, uh, we lost a lot of churches then. So in this picture, you can see the number of churches that that, uh, that closed or left um, each year. And you can see the orange is that long, decades-long trend of churches closing. And the red is that that cluster of churches that left related to our own debates about human sexuality. So I say this um, because this is something that is going on in the Methodist church, but it's an illustration of something else. Churches sometimes split. Churches churches, um, leave their denomination. Churches disaffiliate from one another because we can't get along. Um, You know, and and the, the circumstances change from from time to time, but this is something, this is why there are thousands of denominations um, in in the, um, in North America and many more free churches that, that have no denomination because, because oftentimes Christians don't get along. And we have a good historical precedent. In the New Testament, we read about a conflict between Paul and Barnabas. Paul wanted to take, uh, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them. Paul insisted they shouldn't take him along. And their argument became so intense that they went their separate ways. And I don't know about you, but I'm not as, I am not as holy as Paul. And I'm certainly not as holy as Barnabas. So of course we're going to, we're going to have arguments. We're going to find situations where we cannot get along. But it's not that simple. We can't simply say, oh well, there it is, you know, gotta split up, too bad. Because Jesus prays for us to be one. This is the last thing Jesus prays before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's arrested. In the upper room, this is the last thing Jesus prayed. He said, I pray that they may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. I pray that they will also be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. This is what Jesus prays for his church. And it's what the church has failed to achieve. So we have this situation. All the best Christians we know, the the, the great Heroes of the Bible, they split up from time to time. But Jesus prays we could be one. So, that's our situation. 10% of the Methodist Church has left in the last four years. Churches. Uh, on top of that, there's people. And you can't count people. We don't know why people come and go in a church. But we do know when churches leave. 10% of the entire Methodist 
uh, a connection have left over this issue, and a great number left the Presbyterian Church before. We have arguments, and yet Jesus calls us not to. So what do we do? Well, the answer is we work for peace. We work for peace and reconciliation, not just peace by splitting up and saying goodbye, but peace by saying, how can we possibly get along? One of the things that has been so encouraging to me the past year is the opportunities we've had to pursue um, connection with one of our churches, one of the Presbyterian churches here in Anchorage, uh, Trinity Presbyterian Church. You may remember we had the, the pulpit exchange in the fall, and then we did a Christmas service together, and then um, we've had other things along the way. Um, starting in a week, a uh, bit more than a week, I'm going to be co-leading a Bible study there called Confessions and Coffee. It's in your program um, starting on Wednesdays. So that's something we're going to be doing um, together. And so something I, I encourage us to do is to recognize, yes, we may sometimes split up, but we can never give up the hope of being together. And so that is our that is our calling as a church to pursue the, the vision that Jesus cast for us and yet recognize that God will bless us if we pursue peace, including peace by splitting up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us our hard hearts and our our inability to come to agreements. We have these situations in our everyday life, our work, our home, our neighborhood, and we have the situation in the church. Lord, you know the hearts of all the people who have disaffiliated from the Methodist denomination or the Presbyterian denomination, all the reasons down through the years that people have have left one uh, denomination or left any denomination. And you know, Lord, sometimes there are important matters at stake and people simply disagree. So, Lord, first of all, we pray you would help us to have patience to, to go back one time and another time and another time to seek reconciliation. But, Lord, we pray that if we pursue peace through separation, that you would bless not only us, but the other side as well. And finally, Lord, that when we are separated, when when we are broken into thousands of denominations and any number of free churches, we pray that you would guide Christians to work together, to work toward unity, so that the church can be visibly for all the world what we know it is invisibly through your Son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.